perhaps the most memorable encounter I've had with anyone. I think about it as not only maximizing value, but probability of an outcome, right? And so, you know, I know brands, I'm not going to name names that are, you know, sacrificing, you know, essentially zero profit, building to 7,500 million in revenue, you know, with the intention of being acquired by a Unilever or a, you know, P&G of the world. And, you know, that's, that's a good strategy. But, but what if Unilever is not interested in that kind of company? Welcome to the Own Your Commerce podcast, where leading experts, brands, and innovators reveal strategies for e-commerce growth. I'm your host, Jay Myers, and this show is brought to you by Bold Commerce. Hey, everyone. Before we get started, I have a couple quick announcements I want to throw out there. Bold is excited to announce that we are sponsoring Subscription Summit this year. It's November 11th to 13th, and it's focused at helping subscription e-commerce stores scale. So it's also a free event. If you are a subscription business, make sure you register. Head to subsummit.com and secure your spot there. Uh, We're also speaking on two panels as well. So it's going to be really exciting. Make sure you join us if you are doing subscriptions or even if you ever plan or are thinking about offering any type of subscription or membership offering. Also on the topic of subscriptions, there's been a lot of buzz about Shopify's new checkout. Bold is excited to announce that we are an official partner at integrating subscriptions into Shopify's native checkout. Bold subscriptions is available on multiple platforms, uh, big commerce. It's coming to WooCommerce. Um, it's in the headless space. And very soon it will be officially integrated into Shopify's native checkout. If that's something that interests you, make sure you head to boldcommerce.com. And at the very top of the page, there's a link you can click to sign up to get early beta access. So you'll want to make sure you get on that list. Uh, it's actually, there's a ton of interest for art already. So the sooner you get on, the, the sooner you'll get in. Just head to boldcommerce.com and up at the very top, there's a link that says apply for early access. Now let's start the show. On the show today, we have Patrick Cadu, who is the founder of supply.co. They make $85 single blade razors. Yes, people pay $85 for a razor and a lot of people pay $85 for raises. They're killing it. Uh, Patrick used to sell fighter jets, so we're going to dive into that. Him and his wife went on Shark Tank and got not one, but two offers from sharks. We're going to talk about what's more important, growth or profitability, and how should you think about it, and what do investors look at. We're going to talk about the Patricks that Patrick used to grow sales in the early days and what's changed now that he's a, what you would consider a successful D2C brand, what tactics he's using now. And something I really loved that we got into is Patrick is working on applying the jobs to be done framework to his business. Make sure you pay attention when we get to that part. I think that's amazing. And I think every brand needs to do this. So make sure you listen when we start talking about jobs to be done. Uh, That's a great part. And You know, Pat's going to talk about why he thinks it's important for him to transition into a role of CEO and make note, it's not because he started the company that he's CEO. It's a role. We'll dive into that. Stick around. It's going to be a great episode. Here we go. Patrick, thank you so much for coming on the show today. Absolutely, Jay. Thanks for having me. I think I want to start with a quote and you'll recognize this once I start reading it. Um, I'll just start reading it here. There's a trend among entrepreneurs today. We're all trying to start a business that produces a a passive income stream so that we can move to Bahamas so we can have that mailbox money. (laughs) You know where this is coming already. Uh, And in honesty, that lifestyle sounds pretty amazing. Who wouldn't want that? 
but I found in the past few years that there's something I want even more than that, more than the cushy lifestyle or the margaritas on margaritas on the beach. I want work really hard. I want to build something that I'm proud of, have an impact on the people around me. I want to go to bed tonight. I want to go to bed at night exhausted and wake up and do it all over again in the morning. This was something you wrote on your company's Instagram page a little while ago. What's what's the spirit behind this quote? Where does this come from? Yeah, it's funny. I haven't actually thought about that quote in years. I think Jennifer, my wife, probably reposted it recently. So that is a blog I wrote when I first left my corporate job in 2017. And, and part of the mental calculus of, you know, leaving behind, you know, kind of a cushy six-figure job is, you know, okay, I can't really, I, I don't know any people that have left a six-figure job and started a company and started making that money immediately. And it certainly wasn't my story. You know, I was, we were ramen noodle, you know, range in our first few years. And so anyways, the mental calculus is like, why are you doing this? What's important, you know, and it can't be about the money um, because you're, you're taking a downgrade in your lifestyle. And, you know, for me, frankly, and, and it's, it's true today, like I'm, um, the money isn't what matters to me um, about building my business. Um, what matters is doing something I'm proud of and that I enjoy at the end of the day. And um, that's kind of where that quote came from. Mm. And, you know, it's not rocket science, but like I, I've, I've found it to remain true since I wrote that, you know, three and a half years ago that the, yeah. the times where I'm most fulfilled and most passionate are the times when I'm not even thinking about the business numbers, right? I'm, I'm um, thinking about how to grow the business, how to make an impact on our customers, how to be creative and have fun and, you know, create an environment for our employees and our customers. So that, that's kind of where that thought process came from. Well, it really resonated with me. I can appreciate and I respect that feeling because that is exactly that, that my, my sentiment as well too, you worded it a lot more eloquently than I could have. Um, but it really resonated with me. So speaking of that, so before where you came from, you sold fighter jets. I just, I don't know the not topic topic of the show is not fighter jets, but who sells fighter jets and who buys them? <laughs> well, the United States like government someone, sells them. <laughs> okay. So you have one client. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, specifically in my previous life, um, I worked hand in hand, um, with a large team. I, you know, these are multi-billion dollar deals. It would be arrogant for me to claim, um, you know, responsibility for any of them. Um, but you work with large teams, including the United States government to work with, uh, foreign allies. So everybody from Italy to South Korea, to the Netherlands, you know, all pur purchase military equipment, including aircraft from the United States government so that you can quote, interoper in have interoperability with your allies overseas. So I, I did that for eight and a half years, had a blast in a lot of ways and hated it in a lot of ways as well. I guess. So anyone that's not the enemy, you could sell them to pretty much. Yeah, exactly. It's funny. <laughs> I worked on a deal side comment. I worked on a deal with South Korea for a number of years. And, you know, when you, you know, most of the international community just refers to Korea as Korea, South Korea as Korea right. or the Republic of Korea. And everybody would ask, Very different ask than me, North Korea. which, which Korea are we talking here? And, uh, <laughs> <laughs> because it makes a big difference. That's for yes, sure. Yes, it does. Okay. So let's jump into supply, which is what we want to dive into today, obviously. So yep. I, what is it and why? 
Yeah, so we are a premium men's grooming and shaving company. We started in 2015. Our original flagship product was um, and still is something called the Single Edge. And uh, it's a solid metal single blade razor. And the value prop there, there's there's multiple, but the primary one for a lot of guys, we find that roughly 30 to 40% of men um, struggle with irritation and ingrown hairs when they shave or just pain, razor burn. I mean, you, you name it, just any of the painful things that come along with, with uh, shaving. And a, a, a large, in fact, I think the primary, if not the, the only reason that guys struggle with those things is um, because they're using multi-blade razors when they should be using a single blade. So there's a little bit of personal history there. I've, I've always struggled with that. Um, and um, along the way, I found, you know, uh, the gospel of the single blade razor and um, mm-hmm. fell in love with that old style of shave that our grandpa paws and you know really everybody prior to 1970 grew up using and cleared up all of my issues almost overnight and uh, just kind of uh, wanted to be able to design a product that was accessible and kind of more modern uh, to consumers that yeah because it's kind of intimidating to use these old style erasers Mm -hmm. Um, so I wanted to design something that was more accessible to people and so I did that. We launched on Kickstarter in 2015, and then we have grown over the years. And um, we've got a line of shaving products, skincare products, and uh, we're expanding um, every year. So this might be a stupid question, but can you not just can you not buy a single blade razor in the stores? Is it is it a sure? Yeah, it, you you can buy you know you know the the common you know everybody's like a big single blade razor, right? Those plastic throwaways, right? Um, and so the advantage of ours, there, there's a number of advantages. Um, one, um, my personal favorite is the weight of our razor. So it weighs mm-hmm. around 100 grams, roughly the weight of an iPhone. And it sounds like an insignificant thing, but um, it really significantly improves the shave when you have this weighty um, product in your hand because essentially you're allowing the weight of the razor to do the work for you. So you literally, you just kind of place the razor against your skin. And I like to say you just kind of sweep the hair away with the razor. It's really a Mm. gentle, enjoyable process. Whereas like this kind of big, whenever I have one of those in my hand, it's it's just like you're pressing and trying to kind of pull and tug the hair out of your skin. And um, so not only that, it's a it's an heirloom quality product. It's guaranteed for life, much less waste because you're obviously not throwing away a pr- plastic handle every couple of days. So there are, there are a lot of benefits okay. to to um, to our product over a, like a BIC. Makes sense. Okay, I I I am the type of person that has the constant I don't know what you call it shadow. Like I yep. so I'm a, a little bit ignorant when it comes to the actual razor side, well, but well, so. I'm curious why is it because you have like pain or irritation when you shave? You know what? Like that's a, honestly that's a great question. Yeah, I I, I did, and I had one of those like Gillette five blade razors yep. that um and my neck <laughs> getting into the personal stuff here, but yeah, sure. my neck got really bumpy. And, uh, yeah, exactly. so one day I just grabbed like my head trimmer and I used that like without a guard on it. And so it just yep. kind of went down and, and my wife said, Oh, I don't mind the evening shadow look. And I've literally done that for like eight years now. Um, yeah. but with yours, maybe I wouldn't have had that issue, but yeah, I got all the red bumps on my neck. So, yeah. Yeah. And it's, that's exactly why I asked because it seems it's really funny. Like something about being a guy, like you just like kind of accept that that's a problem. And yeah, like, I had no idea it was because of the multiple blades. 
Yeah. And, and you don't, you don't really think that it's solvable. You just like, and it's, I have this exact same conversation with so many guys. They're like, yeah, you know, I get all these bumps on my neck and I just, I just kind of always thought that's just how it is. And uh, I'm like, well, why don't you take one of these and give it a shot? And, you know, we've literally, I, I'm not trying to make a commercial for myself, but like <laughs> we've, we've changed people's lives. Like literally they've told us you've changed my life. I've dealt with this and, yeah. you know, for my entire life. So anyways, that's kind of I believe trail, it. But. I mean, without knowing any better, you would go to the store and think you need like the Gillette seven blade because yeah, that's what um, they tell you. That's what the marketing tells you, but yep. it's it's not it's wrong. Yeah. Yep. So okay, so a little bit of background on supply. So what you started in 2015. Like obviously, you were it was you and your wife started it together, right? That's correct. What's growth been like? How many people are you now? Um, are you profitable or are you in growth mode and putting everything back in or what does that look like? Yeah. So we grow roughly kind of two to three X every year. You know, where I, what I like to say is we're in the kind of mid uh, seven figures right now. Uh, we're profitable. Um, we have a small team of um, seven people right nice. now and then a, an army of, you know, freelancers and partners that we work with. Um, we're based in Fort Worth, Texas. Um, got a got a small office here. We warehouse out of Austin. And um, yeah, that's kind of the, the basics of who we are right now. What's your goal with it on the growth side? Profit slash growth. There's mm. always a, there's a balance. <laughs> I can tell you, like we use it, we actually have a, a ratio of bold we use. We call it the, uh, the the rule of 40. It's kind of a known term in the public markets, but basically your growth or your EBITDA has to equal to 40%. So if, you, if you're growing 40% year mm. over year, then EBITDA zero is okay. You don't mm. have to make profit. But mm. if you're not growing, if your growth is only... 20%, then you should have roughly 20% EBITDA, but whatever it is, it needs to add up yeah. to 40 and that's a healthy company. And investors actually look at that. Yeah. So I'm just curious oh, your take on it. Yeah, Jay, I wish I had, I had the right answer. It's <laughs> funny. I'm laughing because I literally just got off the phone with, you know, a, a mentor and we were having this exact conversation. Like what is the, what is the balance between growth and profitability? I want yeah. both, right? Obviously um, <laughs> I want 20% EBITDA and 200% growth. There you go. Um, That's but, a um, or 220. Yeah. yeah, exactly. The 220 rule. Yeah. So it's like this constant give and take in my, like I'm constantly thinking about this topic constantly. And um, the challenge is as a founder of a, a consumer goods company uh, and an e-commerce company, the, the large majority from what I can tell, and I'm not an expert in this area, so I don't, I don't mean to portray myself as one, but, but the majority of transactions that happen um, in terms of people acquiring companies like mine, they, they seem to be, at least from the data I can gather, based on an EBITDA multiple, mostly, kind of in the seven-figure, low eight-figure range, right? Now, there's always the, um, you know, the Crimo companies of the world, which is a shaving cream brand that just got bought by Edgewell for $235 million. Now, I'm assuming, mm-hmm. I don't know, they got bought on a revenue multiple, probably mm-hmm. two to three X. Um, but the guys like me in this, in the seven and the low eights, like you, you, um, you get bought on an EBITDA multiple. And like, I'm not saying that's like my goal. Like I'm trying to sell my company tomorrow, but, um, but, but it's, it's how you look at value. Yeah, yeah. It's how you look at value. And so, and then there's the other piece, which is like, what if I never sell my company? What if nobody's interested in buying my company? Like I want to have something that is, you know, producing something for the amount of effort that I put into it. So like, right. but then if you're not big enough, then the edge wells of the world aren't interested in you. So like you have to grow, you have to get bigger, but you also have to be profitable. So it's a really challenging 
problem, especially for somebody like me who can't really see the future. But, you know, what I like to think about is I like to be, we, like I said, we've grown two, three X a year, especially at our size. That's doable to, to keep that up for the next few years. Um, but mm-hmm. I, I like that growth rate, but then I also want to be profitable, you know, and yeah. you know, what feels good to me is the 15 to 20% range and anything higher than 20 feels like I should be putting that back in the business and anything lower than kind of 10, 15, you know, feels like, you know, something's kind of broken. So that's, that's how I look at the world. Um, it's not like the answer, but that's, that's kind of how I view growth versus profitability. If that even comes close to answering the question. No, it does. It does. It's different. I mean, we're a software company, so we think about it very differently and, um, it's interesting. I, I, the D to C world is, um, investors are starting to take notice. And mm. I mean, we're seeing brands that we work with, um, getting acquired and it, they'll, they'll look at revenue as two buckets. They look mm. at it as your one time. And then it, for, if they offer any type of subscriptions, there's a different multiple on that. Mm. Mm. But one time revenue is a multiple of EBITDA. And yep. it's usually, we see three to like maximum six EBITDA, mm. but then, subscription revenue they take completely different and we're, we're like we're seeing valuations the same as software companies get like 8 10x yeah. annual recurring revenue which is um which to me is like super encouraging that you can build a product company that's doing a million dollars in uh product subscription and you and you've got a seven or eight million dollar company like um that wasn't the case five six yeah. years ago like yeah. investors have really focused on product companies e-commerce now so yeah well it'll yeah, start to be definitely a, a focus of yours i think is that that because it's it, it's how you make decisions going forward yeah and I, I think about it as not only maximizing value but probability of an outcome right and so right you know i know brands i'm not going to name names that are you know sacrificing you know essentially zero profit building to 75 100 million in revenue you know with the intention of being acquired by a unilever or a you know, PNG of the world. And, you know, that's, that's a good strategy, but, but what if Unilever is not interested in that kind of company? What if mm-hmm. PNG, like your acquisition, you, you've, you've kind of painted yourself into a corner in terms of what your outcomes are. And like, you've kind of made yourself beholden to, you know, the board of directors at PNG determining like, what's the future for them. And so the yeah. other thing I like to think about is like, what's kind of the probability of an outcome, you know? So, one pro- one outcome for me is, you know, I build a $20 million company that's throwing off 20% cash and, you know, that's a quote lifestyle business, but that's a great lifestyle as far as I'm concerned. 100%. And then another probability is like a strategic buys me, but then another one is a private equity company can buy me. So like there's a, there's a lot of outcomes for somebody in the, you know, eight low, low to mid eights with a, you know, throwing off 15 to 20 plus EBITDA. So that, that's kind of what what I think about a lot is probability um, in, in addition to, to the outcome. The brands that are scaling, like th- this is a, this is something that I see stores get wrong. You can, you can, I don't say fudge growth, but like mm. you can throw money at it through advertising yeah. and you, you can, but, and it's not building a sustainable growth model. Um, yeah. So it's, it's an interesting dilemma that a lot of e-commerce brands face is like how much gas money do you want to put at it versus, um, actually building a perpetual growth machine that grows on its yeah. own based on like a lot of other things. So, so speaking of which, uh, uh two questions I will start with this one. What, what tactics did you use in the earlier days to get customers to get sales? Yeah. Uh, everything we could think of. Um, <laughs> so, you know, we were on 
I mean, we did everything. We did Amazon. We did, you know, we went to shows, right? Like Christmas shows and, you know, in-person stuff. You know, we did wholesale accounts, any wholesale account we could find. Mm. You know, we're obviously on Shopify. We started on Kickstarter. We did a couple other Kickstarters. You know, so those early days, it was just trying to find any way to make money possible. And over time, we realized like kind of the time to value ratio or like pain to value ratio of a lot of those things. So like we don't do shows anymore, although I'm sure there's great money that can that can be made um, in some of those. You know, we we're actually off of Amazon now, although like, you know, maybe not forever. I, I could see ourselves going back one day. But like what, what we learned real fast is when you're a small team. Like you think you can do everything, but you really can't. And so, you know, we kind of really pulled back uh, a year to two ago and really just started focusing on on our store only. So we're 95% direct to consumer through our website. We have some small wholesale business. Um, but it's funny, like now what I find myself thinking a lot more is like, okay, how do we expand to be more omni-channel, but more strategic and thoughtfully this time? Um, but your question was, I think, more around tactics and yeah, no, tactics no, so, used in the early days to to acquire customers when yeah. you didn't have the brand that you have now. Yeah, so I mean, no surprise. I mean, so we started on Kickstarter. We would not exist without Kickstarter. Hmm. Um, it was where we made our first dollar and our first eighty thousand um, dollars. And then you know, from from there, it was forums. You know, Reddit. Um, uh, you know, word of mouth, uh, you know, we didn't start and this spending was, this was like you going on forums and yeah, engaging yeah. conversation. Yeah, absolutely. And, absolutely. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. All those things I just said, you know, like going to shows, going to, you know, yeah. throwing stuff on Amazon. We didn't start spending on Facebook until about like kind of one and a half to two years in. That was a big part of our, what, why not? Um, the first couple of years of our business was really more about figuring out how to make the product. We had a lot of supply chain and production challenges on the front end that just gotcha. We fixed the, we had fix the bucket sell, really. before you put water yeah. in it. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you know, our first two, I don't remember exactly, but our first two years, you know, we probably did 200 K or less, you know, over two years. Right. Um, and we just didn't have product to sell. Um, anyways. So, but then after I, that, we, I agree ahead. with that. I was just curious your logic because I agree with that. I think that that's the worst thing you can do really on is throw money, spend advertising. You have a leaky bucket. The only time yep. I think sometimes makes sense is if you want to validate a product and you just don't have traffic on your site and you need eyeballs on it. Sure, pay for traffic, but mm-hmm. um, otherwise you're not actually. Yeah. Anyways, it just I was just curious your take on it. Yeah. Yeah. So none of our tactics in the early days will be you know rocket science, but Facebook. Yeah. You know, once we started spending on Facebook and Instagram and social. That- Certainly became a big part of our um, kind of tool chest. Quick fun fact about uh, Kickstarter. You might not know this, but I guess we actually worked with you on your Kickstarter campaigns because we own Kickbooster, which is. Oh, no uh, kidding. Yeah. So that's a I bold that. product. Yeah. We don't. It's kind of got its own branding, but that Kickbooster is uh, a crowdfunding affiliate tool, which I actually, before yeah. the show, I, uh, I saw you were on Kickstarter. So I just looked up in our database and sure enough, you used it for your everyday DOP. Um, yeah. uh, campaign. I don't know how much you generated from it, but it's uh. So we knew each other even before. <laughs> That's awesome. I love products. it. Yeah. So then, fast forwarding to now, what's changed in those tactics? So five years later, a little bit more of a mature company, but definitely still growing. How have those tactics changed, and how do you look at acquiring customers differently? In a lot of the same way, um, it's just kind of matured a bit. So we think about less about like 
tactics like how do we buy media and how do we change the two seconds of this ad um, to, to create the outcome that we want and more about like what's this the strategy and the process through which we we view growth and we're um, iterating and testing and um, uh, like that's been a very very recent thing that we're talking a lot about so um, you know I just just hired a couple months ago a new um, head of head of growth and so I'm, I'm personally mm. kind of taking myself out of the growth equation and we're in the middle of an exercise right now where um, we're fortunate enough to where we can kind of pull back and say okay tactics you know have gotten us this far but like the future for us is principles and process and mm. you know the challenge with our products, is, and I'm sure this is applicable to anybody, but uh, I feel it very uh, keenly is there are so many things that can be said and so many ways we can talk about our products and that we can advertise them. And there's different value props that, that speak to different people. And so what we're doing right now is, is designing a process where we can every, you know, two to four weeks kind of launch new ways of talking about our products and testing mm. new landers, new offers, new just entire, um, we don't have to go down the, this rabbit trail, but um, we're using the jobs to be done framework to, to I love think, it. think about how we talk about our products. And so anyways, the, the answer is we, we don't think much about tactics and, and we think a lot more about how are we going to build, how are we going to maintain this kind of machine, um, yes. you know, well into the eight figures and beyond? That's a software approach. You're, 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 um, you're ahead of the game. Um, it's, it's jobs funny. to be done is, is how we look at things when we're building. Like really? I, I often tell people, I say like, if someone's selling a screwdriver, do they really want your mm -hmm. screwdriver or do they want a shelf on the wall? Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Do they really want a shelf on the wall? Or do they want a place to store books? Mm -hmm. And we always try to go, how can you take like three layers down? Because yeah. what you're, what you're, you're selling is not a razor. You're selling comfort. Mm -hmm. You're selling, you're selling, you, you, you mean, you can speak the language better than I can, but, um, we Freedom look at this all irritation and rednecks hundred percent rednecks. I, I think if brands right. could get that right with e-commerce, yeah. that is huge because they get so caught up in the product and that's, actually not what you're selling. It's, um, it's funny that you mentioned it's a software approach because all the reading I'm doing and consuming of information about, you know, that's informing, um, you know, our planning, it's all, so it's all SaaS material. Um, mm -hmm. it's all software. Um, cause there's really not a lot of material out there. Like there's so much how to go from zero to one out there for, for e-commerce and consumer brands. There's not a lot how to go from one to 20, you know? And yeah. so, but there is, there's, there's some of it for SaaS. And so, you know, I feel like the SaaS world is, is, you know, leagues beyond the e-commerce and consumer world in terms of like process and principles of growth, you know, in the, you know, kind of one to 20 range. Um, so all, all the reading I'm doing right now is all software and it's trying to take those principles and apply them to, to what we're doing. And it's, it seems like it would be very different, but I think there's so many similarities that it, it, it's not that much of a stretch to take software principles and apply them to, to packaged goods. I think you're smart to do it. I mean, like it comes up with, for us, we, you know, when someone asks for a feature in a product, it's always like, well, what are you, what are they actually trying to do? What problem are they trying to solve? And it's usually never that like, this button has to go here. Yeah. There's a different way mm -hmm. to think about it anyways. So I, I love that because once you know what 
the job to be done is of your product that yeah. informs your whole, your copy, your marketing, your, your image, like everything about the way you position your company. Yep. yep. Yeah. I'm excited. I'd like to pause to call out the importance of the jobs to be done framework of thinking. I'm so glad Patrick brought this up and is thinking this way about his business because truly understanding what jobs your product do for your customers is critical to creating great marketing that actually works. There are a ton of resources and writings on it. JTBD.info is a great website. Also the book simply titled Jobs to be Done. I encourage you to Google it and start applying this framework to the way you sell. And so you're going through that process right now. Is this a bit of an exercise with? Right. Yeah. Right now we're kind of rebuilding, you know, we've, we've had the fortune of like just kind of being able to rely on tactics and hacks to get us to where we are now and not have to think very strategically about growth. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, we're starting to get into the range to where like, you know, hacks aren't going to get us to, to where we want to be. So yeah. kind of taking a step back and, and really relooking at, at how we view channels and, performance and you know messaging and positioning et cetera et cetera so anyways the, the answer to your question is we're, we're we're kind of in the middle of a transition right now and, and trying to figure it out and that's just some of the thoughts that we're working through literally right now I listened to one of your podcasts back in January and mm-hmm. one of the things you said on it was uh, you were doing Instagram paid advertising paid advertising at the time but you hoped you wouldn't be in the future <laughs> I guess one question is are you still and do you still feel that way um, I don't remember saying that, um, but if I said it, I'll it was find probably, it, Patrick. You said it. <laughs> I don't believe it. Yeah, you're making it up. But if, 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 if I said it, it was probably in the context of like I'd love I, to not have to spend money on Instagram to maybe, grow. Fair enough. Right? Fair enough. <laughs> so I mean, yes, this, it still applies. I'd love You'd to. Love not to me to, to take it out of context. You yeah, did I'd say something to, to that extent, but I what I took from it was uh, you would hope you weren't paying to acquire customers, but maybe it was more along the lines of having that perpetual motion machine going. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I think you're, you're always going to have to be paying somebody something in this world mm. that we live in. And, um, like I, I'm not naive enough to think that I can build a business to the size I want to build it, you know, completely on SEO or, you know, a YouTube channel alone. Um, and I wish that were the case, you know, maybe somebody out there has figured it out, uh, you know, Kylie yeah. Jenner maybe, but, um, somebody like me who is not famous is going to have to pay a toll to, um, somebody like Facebook, Instagram, et cetera. So, um, yeah, well, I, I don't see that changing anytime soon, but yeah. man, I sure would love to not have to pay Mr. Zuckerberg <laughs> to, uh, to reach my customers. Yeah. Um, it's interesting. I, I saw, I'm sorry. I, I just got to throw this in there. I, I, I heard, and this is just a soundbite that I may have taken out of context, but I heard some survey the other day where the, the large majority of Gen Z um, purchasers expect brands now to like find them where they, where they are. So like, I don't know, don't, don't, don't take my word for this, but it's like, they kind of expect you to advertise that they like, they're not out looking for you. They expect you to find them. And you know, mm-hmm. it's either organically through influencers and that's not really organic cause you got to pay them or it's through, you know, advertising. And so they, they kind of expect to be advertised to now. And, um, I, I just don't see that changing anytime soon. Yeah. I would agree with that sentiment, even for my own personal shopping. I don't, I actually rarely use Google and and research and um, it typically comes through social, through people I know, through uh, it, it, it's a, it's a, the buying journey is less and less a Google search. I actually yeah. can't think of the last time I was like, I needed a product. I'm going to go to Google and search and do research. And I yeah. don't know. It just, 
like I'll throw it out to friends on social or typically I have an idea of who is, who knows that space well, but yeah, it's, and that's that, that's the micro influencer movement that a lot of yeah. people talk about. It's not the people with millions and millions of followers. It's mm-hmm. how do you empower like your everyday customer who shops on your store to be a micro influencer. They might only yeah. be able to influence five people, yeah. but, but you want them, you know, that guy who buys that razor, his friends around to get it. In the fall of 2019, Patrick and his wife appeared on Shark Tank. It was an event that he said changed his life and changed his business. Shark Tank isn't always what it appears to be, though. Although Patrick had two offers on the show, one from Kevin O'Leary and one from Robert Herchevac, and ended up taking a deal from Robert, it ended up not going through in the end. It would still, however, prove to be a massive impact on his business and an event he would later reflect on as one of the highlights of his life you were fortunate enough to go on there. That's a lot of entrepreneurs dream is to be on shark tank, even if they don't get an investment because uh, obviously like the publicity. So well, how did that come about that you ended up on shark tank? Was it, what was the process like? And I don't know, how's it been since it came about with a lot of work Then it just fall in our laps. We applied three years in a row. Um, oh, wow. So I actually, I actually left my previous corporate job in January, 2017. And like the first thing I did the week after I quit was uh, I applied for shark tank. Um, and then I made it real far. Didn't get on though. Applied again the next year. Didn't get very far. Applied again the third year and finally got through. Um, and um, so it's a ton of work. I'm happy to go into any details that I can. Um, but you know, at the end of the day, it was, I mean, it, it <laughs> I hate to say this cause it's, it sounds almost pathetic, but it was like one of the highlights of my life to date, you know, oh, obviously well behind, you know, getting married and having kids, but, uh, you know, it, it was so much fun, especially doing it with my wife, um, who's my co-founder, um, just the, like the, the crucible of standing there on the, on the rug and then preparing for it. You know, it's like the, the hardest you know, if you went through college, you know, think about the hardest final you ever took and then do that times 20. And um, so just a phenomenal, enjoyable experience. Everybody, the Sharks and the entire production crew behind the, the show are just phenomenal people. Really, mm. really great people. And um, really just the opportunity of a lifetime. Like it's, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's hard to think how, you know, like what kind of experience could top that. I'm sure, I'm sure I'll, hopefully there's more, you know, it's not downhill from here, but um, that was just so much fun. Maybe, you know, my dreams to get on Survivor one day. So maybe yeah, that'll, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so did, so you, you got to deal with Robert, right? And did yes, it, did it correct. go through? Cause often they sometimes don't yeah, go right. through after the show. Yeah, roughly half the deals don't close, and uh, we actually um, did not close our deal. Okay, yeah. So I, one of our investors at Bold is Bruce Croxon, who's um, he was a dragon on Dragons Den. Oh, really? Yeah, and Dragons Den actually came out before Shark, before Shark Tank. Shark Tank, but it's the Canadian version, and yep. we just don't have as many people in Canada, so it's not as well known. But yeah, so he was a dragon. We have dragons. You have sharks, basically. Yeah, <laughs> so. yeah, yeah. Did you notice uh, uh, the day it aired? Like you, you already had an online store, right? Oh, oh yeah, definitely. So with the day it aired, what, what did that do to your sales? I mean, we did more sales that day, you know, than we did probably our first year of, you know, business. Yeah. I mean, it was, it was outrageous. You know, that was a record month by, by, you know, we aired on on November 3rd and uh, by November 4th, we had already had a record month. And, you know, by the end of the month we had, um, you know, four extra previous record month. Yeah. So, um, it was certainly a spike for us. Um, you know, I, ideally it would, you know, maintain, you know, that spike, um, you know, it's kind of died down a little bit since then in terms of like kind of, um, free, uh, traffic. 
but it certainly put a ton of wind in our sails because it, you know, um, just momentum, brand momentum, brand recognition, put a ton of wind in our sails. But then it also being a bootstrap brand, we didn't close the deal and, and we're entirely self-funded. Just kind of, you know, frankly, uh, just put a ton of cash in our pockets that we could then really invest in the brand um, and specifically in inventory, right? That's always a challenge when you're our size and small and bootstrapped is just keeping in stock and, and having just the cash conversion cycle. And so um, it gave us um, the ability to start thinking more strategically and kind of play mm-hmm. offense with our brand than kind of always playing defense and in terms of just trying to stay alive. So um, it was a huge inflection point for us. And we're just not only are we grateful for the experience, but the airing turned out amazing. And then it's just really, really accelerated our business. So we're, we're just awesome. grateful all around. And you're still allowed, I, I'm assuming it's the same as Dragon's Den. Like you can still use terms on your website as seen on Shark Tank or like that kind of language. Um, yeah, there's all sorts of contracts we signed. Um, but, you know, we can we can say that we were on Shark Tank for sure. Right. And there, there are some specific things we can't do. But um, for the Fair most enough. part, I mean, we're, is it right, can you speak to why the deal didn't end up closing or is that off the table? <laughs> Yeah. Um, yeah. Can't, can't speak to specifics, but just a um, difference in opinion on some of the specific sure. terms. Um, Fair enough. Which is, know, that's, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like any deal, right? I mean, yeah. you know, the high level stuff that's on TV is, is nice, but you know, it, yeah. there's a lot more conversations <laughs> that go on behind this. Oh, well, for sure. Scenes. Yeah. I have a friend that was on Dragon's Den, exact same thing, got an offer, then it ended up not going through, but you know what, their business is doing great. And it was yep. the tailwinds from it are just as good. Do you have an option at that point? Cause it was, uh, Kevin O'Leary that offered the royalty yeah. deal. So, or is that still on the table when something else, or is it you only are negotiating with the shark that you accepted on the show? I mean, I'm sure I could go email Kevin and say, Hey, you want to, you know, make good on well, that still, deal. Still want a uh, buck 50, uh, raise yeah, exactly. <laughs> but you know, at the end of the day, um, I, I love the fact that I still own my business, my wife and I hundred percent. And like, I like the outcome and I, I don't really want to go back to uh, Kevin's a great guy, but I, that didn't interest me. Yeah. Well, that's good. Well, congratulations either way. Like it's, um, yeah, we, we work with a lot of brands that end up on one of the two dragons Den or shark tank. Mm-hmm. And it's quite common that I actually would say it was, would be more than 50% that don't go yep. through that um, number I got from, I can't remember who did it. It may have been the hustle or some, some newsletter did some big study, you know, it was probably mm-hmm. two years ago where they went and they called, you know, it's not like a scientific study, but they called like all the people who had done deals and they got as many answers as they could. And they roughly found out that half of them, yeah closing the deals and and like the majority of that was mark cuban like he closed something like 80 or 90 percent and the rest of them are in the like 30 to 40 range wow well he's probably the wealthiest of the group i would say i think his net worth is more than the rest combined right so it's less worrisome for him (laughs) he can be a little more lenient with his terms i guess yep um, one thing I wanted to touch on was you actually said something earlier that you might see yourself going back on Amazon in the future, but like, that's been something you've been, I don't know, a little bit vocal about in the past is, is making a, a move from Amazon. I, I can't remember where, I think I saw yeah. it in a blog post yeah, or yeah. somewhere, but you previously were on prime with Amazon. You yeah. made the move and completely cut off. Yeah. And so I guess what was the thought process there and. Where is that still the case of 
the yeah. logic behind that? Sure. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I was, I've kind of beat my chest a little bit. Um, I've gone through phases of love, hate relationships with Amazon. <laughs> um, at, you know, at this time last year, I really hated them. They really kind of just screwed us over in ways that are really harmful for small businesses of the size we mm. were. Like we just kind of didn't have the ability to play the Amazon game at that time. Like I wanted to play an honest game and like that's not the Amazon game uh, a lot of the time. Mm. So like, you know, they lost inventory of ours, like significant amounts of inventory of ours. And it took me months to get that money back. You know, they started advertising their products on my listing. Um, you know, squatters, yeah. they started to let, you know, sit squat on our listing. They wanted to take them off off, you know, selling counterfeit products, um, just all these challenges of selling on Amazon. That is kind of just part of the game. And I just didn't have number one, the stomach for it or, you know, and it just kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe my ego is too big for it. Like I was just, I was just tired of dealing with it. Um, and so, uh, but the, the reality of the game is, you know, something like a hundred million people are prime customers or something like that. And so, you know, you're really missing out on some significant traffic if you're not on Amazon. So I think maybe one day we'll be ready to play that game. Um, but for the products we sell, it's a really tough game to play. And it's just not something just to, oh, you know, I'll throw my yeah. shaving cream up on Amazon. You know, it's like you got to be ready and kind of go in with battle gear on. And so we just didn't have the right gear on. And maybe one day we will we'll suit up and put some money behind watch it on Amazon, but not, not right now. Your sentiment is bang on. And I went through the exact same thing, uh, 18 years ago, but really? so back, back in like 2001, uh, eBay was the big thing back then. It was like, I mean, this is like before Amazon was even on the radar, mm-hmm. uh, everyone was selling on eBay. And so anyways, I, uh, yeah, I had all my products on eBay, but also on, on my, on my e-commerce stores and yeah. or actually first it was just eBay, but eBay had stores. It was actually very similar to Amazon and, uh, eBay could have definitely been what Amazon is now. They kind of took mm-hmm. the wrong yeah. course, but, um, for me, it was, I had to decide like when you're, you're essentially renting customers on, yeah. on eBay or Amazon. And at some point you have to decide if you want to build a brand and, and make that switch. And it's hard cause you, you cut the, you get off the nipple of hmm. Amazon or eBay or anything else. And I mean, good on you for doing that. And once you get yourself in a place where you have a strong brand, I don't personally see a reason not to. Um, but never, yeah. I mean, they, Amazon does not have your best interest out in mind. It's, there's, no, they're they clear don't. about that. Yeah. They, they, um, I mean, they have algorithms to know what products are selling the best. And then at a certain point they will have a Amazon version of it. Like it's, you know, or, or to sell advertising on top of it. But I was just curious. Yeah. yeah if, yeah. if that was still the case and yeah. where you were at with that. I, I think, you know, the, the right strategy with Amazon is you're making a deal with the devil and you just got to know that going in and, you know, be ready to play that game. And, um, I actually, you know, I, I'm a customer, I'm a prime customer on Amazon cause it's just, you know, there's so much easy stuff to, anyways, we won't go into it, but, yeah. um, yeah. at the same time I hate them and I think they're a destructive force for, you know, commerce and small mom and pop shops and, um, but like, I'm also, uh, you know, a believer in, you know, that they, you know, provide a service yeah. that people want to purchase. And so uh, anyways, so, uh, you know, it's just, you, you're kind of doing a deal with the devil and you, you just got to play the game on their terms and, uh, be ready to, like I said, kind of go to, go to battle. So we, we may go. I back. made a suggestion one time at a, it was a DDC conference and I was on a panel and, um, 
I think you're in a different position because you, you have a good brand now and the majority of your sales are coming through your site, but a lot of brands are like 50, 50, or they're even like 80% Amazon and 20% on their store. And one of the things I suggested, which really resonated and a bunch of brands picked it up was that on your site, because you're paying roughly why well, maybe more than this, but it's like 15% and up uh, to Amazon when you sell on them. Um, mm-hmm. so I encouraged a bunch yeah. of brands to put a, to find a charity. And every time someone bought on their website, make it clear that say, thank you for, for buying mm. from us and not Amazon. We're donating 15%, which is what we would pay to Amazon to this charity. And you can do that. Yeah, it's not against cool. Amazon's terms. I love that. And it gives that customer a really good feeling because I try to shop from stores as much as I can. And I'm That's a good. prime member too. And it's, it's a little bit of a pain because you got everything in prime and it's easy, but I'll take a couple minutes and I'll go and I'll search and see yeah. if I, on that website. And you know, if they say like, thanks for finding us and buying direct, we're going to donate 15% of this to this charity. Like it just leaves that good feeling. So yeah. it's interesting. A lot of brands struggle with that. Um, so what's your biggest goal next 12 months, well, two goals, 12 months and five years. 12 months, five years, um, 12 months. If I'm sitting in this chair, 12 months from now, I'm done with what I call what, what I'm going through this year, which is what I call the kind of transition from mm. founder to CEO, which has been tough uh, for me personally. Right. So it's the, if in case it's not immediately obvious, it's transition from you're doing everything to you're building a team and, and processes mm-hmm. and empowering people to do everything. Uh, so, and you know, ensuring that the company doesn't depend on me for survival and in fact is doing a lot better without me, you know, messing around with the details. So, uh, made some progress on that past few months, made some really key hires, um, <clears throat> would like to make a few more over the next eight-ish months. Um, but really, it's more of a mindset and a um, empowering other people and setting up processes and, um, and uh, you know, trying to become more of a leader. Um, I just want to say I respect a ton that you understand that um, it's just a personal pet peeve of mine that when someone starts a company and it's one person and their title is CEO. And my definition of CEO yeah. is someone who <laughs> yeah leads people around, really makes people around them the best version of themselves um, and orchestrates strategy. Yeah. And you're measured by the success of the people around you. So, I mean, when you're one or two people, there's just, you can't, there's no, it's, it's tough because like survival is no means written in stone for us. Like every day is a new day and a new challenge and a new battle to fight. Right. And like, I don't just, I'm not just throwing out off tons of cash flow that I can just yeah. go hire 20 people, you know? Um, so it's a challenge for sure. Cause I still like, I'm kind of like in this limbo where I still have to be very involved in it. And I want to be like, I love, I love working on my company, but at the same time, like I know that it's outgrown, you know, my abilities. So it's a tough transition, um, but, but, a but an enjoyable one and, and the right one. Um, there's a, there's a, um, quote I have on my wall. Mm. It's from a book called the E-Myth and it uh, says, I might butcher a little bit, but it's like, I love um, that book. if your business depends on you, you don't have a business, you have a job and it's the worst job in the world because you're working for a lunatic. And like, it's like, <laughs> yes, I am working for a lunatic. So, uh, I better, I better start having other people work for that lunatic. I will make sure uh, I put that in the show notes. Yeah, that's good. Uh, so anyways, um, five years from now, um, that's a great question. man. um, I'd love to be a, a lot not just from an ego, you know, like I want to be bigger, but I just, growth is important to me. It's like, it's a sign of like something's working. So, you know, I want to be bigger. I want to constantly, and and like, I don't want to be doing the same thing I'm doing now. Right. I I just want to be 
taking on new challenges. Um, and so if that means like, um, you know, we've, we've been acquired by Vin. Awesome. If it means I'm still at the helm, you know, running the show, that's also awesome. I have a lot of fun doing what I do. Um, so I don't have any, like a specific five-year goal, but it's just like, keep getting better, keep, keep getting bigger and and keep, um, Mm -hmm. just kind of taking on new challenges. Like I have just have a lot of dreams for where I want our brand to go in terms of who, who I want us to be and, and like the co- the causes and, the, and the, the things I want us to support and the things I want us to stand for. And like those things, those things like take time. Like I, I had yeah. so many dreams five years ago when I started this company of stuff that I would do in the first five years. And I've gotten to like maybe 90, excuse me, I've gotten to maybe 10% of them. And mm. like things are just taking so much longer, <laughs> you know, yeah. than, I, than I ever thought they would. And it, I, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think it's just a reality that, um, you know, we, I think it was Bill Gates, maybe that said, or maybe I'm making it up. You know, we, we significantly overestimate what we can accomplish in, you know, a week or a month. And then we underestimate what we could accomplish in a year. And so it's like the years that matter. It's not necessarily the weeks and the months. Yeah. It's interesting. I'm actually reading a book right now called Atomic Habits. And, uh, it's, uh, a lot about, you know, forget goals, forget these big lofty goals. It's what is the, what are the process that or the processes that you're going to do every day between now and then that's going to get you there. Cause you can have yeah. any goal, but, um, we way overvalue. Like if you look back, you know, on a common question, I was even tempted to ask you this, like, cause it, it's a question I would normally ask, but a question is like, what's the, what's been the one key to your success or what's been the <laughs> one biggest thing you've done. Yeah, um, and we overvalue in big important events when really what makes you successful is the thousands of small yeah. 1% increments every day. Um, yeah. and if you improve by 1% a day, you've 37 X in a year. It's a crazy mathematical thing, but if you can just improve 1% a day, the power of that compounding is, is mind blowing. So, um, I'm trying to shift that a little bit in my own life to think it's not like where, I, I have ideas of where I want to be and the company to be, but just today, what's the one thing? So yeah. Yeah. Amen. You know what that means? It's time for our lightning round. Let's get Patrick in the old e-commerce hot seat and ask him some quick hitting questions and see what he really thinks. I don't know if you read, did you read these beforehand or not? I did not. So okay. So this is off the cuff, yeah. off the cuff with Patrick Cadu. Okay. <laughs> What's the biggest mistake, biggest mistake you've made in e-commerce, not in life? <laughs> Maybe I should have prepared. Um, you can pass. What's the biggest thing no, you've done? No, that's, I don't oh. want to pass. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's stupid to say. I don't have any mistakes. Whoever's editing is going to have to cut this. Maybe. Well, uh, I don't know. Maybe that's your life, your outlook on life. Nothing's a mistake. It's where yeah, you are today. Nothing's a mistake. Uh, no, I have a lot of mistakes. Um, uh, just one comes to mind. Um, we hired a three PL last year and, um, it was a complete nightmare. Um, I should have been more careful signing the contract and and vetting them. Um, Mm. in fact, all of my biggest mistakes, this is great. Are, are poor vetting of vendors Mm. and or partners. Those are always my biggest mistakes. And so like, uh, you know, I interview one, sorry, this is supposed to be lightning round, but yeah, no, poor vetting, (laughs) poor vetting of vendors that have really screwed me over. What's the biggest thing you've done right? Um, working with my wife. I love working with her on this business. Do you have your, your, your good days and your bad days or are they just, it's not oh, even yeah. like that? <laughs> oh yeah. It's not all roses, but um, the, the, the large trend is we, we love working together. 
I feel like I'm working with my wife now because we're all remote and she's upstairs <laughs> and I'm downstairs. So I'm, I'm basically working with her, but she's on her own job. I'm on mine. Yeah, exactly. What's a pet peeve you have or you see other store owners do? Yeah. I mean, I have lots of pet peeves. Usually it's like the skeezy marketing stuff. Um, you know, only three left in stock. And if you look at the developer tools, you know, it's yeah, like yeah, you can change the number. the number. Yeah. Like that <laughs> reset, reset the or, countdown timer. Yeah. And I don't know, I guess YouTube thinks I'm interested in this, but like I get a new ad every day about how to, you know, 10 X my business or become a drop shipper or sell on Amazon. And like, you know, I hate mm. all that stuff. It's none, mm. there's no formula to any of this. It's not easy. Yeah. Uh, other than your e-commerce platform, what would you say are the, uh, what's the most valuable piece of software you use to run your business or top couple? Yeah. So we, you know, we use all the Google products, Google drive. I love data studio and Google sheets. Mm. Um, I'm a numbers guy. I'm an engineer. Um, I'm constantly in our Google sheet dashboard and our Google data studio dashboard. Um, and then what's the first metric you look at when I know the health of your store? revenue, uh, you know, monthly revenue, I try not to look at daily trends, monthly revenue. And then, um, you know, one thing we're looking at a lot lately is like percent of revenue spent on, on advertising, you know, making sure that's healthy, you know, so when you're growing as fast as we are, you're dumping a lot of money into advertising. You just want to make sure it's not, you're not over leveraging there. Yeah. Other software is gorgeous and Clavio. Love those guys always. We're actually, I think having both of them on the show soon. So good. Good. Good folks. All right partners of ours what's your favorite other than supply what's your favorite online store to shop at <laughs> um not amazon yeah um you know the first one that comes to mind is uh it's funny uh it's beard brand because eric's just a good buddy oh, yeah. of mine and uh, i use his hair products uh, <laughs> wait so like is he are they competitors or are they the complimentary or an uh, well, they're kind of complimentary, right? They they sell products to take care of your beard and I sell products to get rid of your beard, right? So, you know, <laughs> depending on where you are on that spectrum and, and sometimes you may be right in the middle. Like I've got, I, I have customers who are also customers of Eric's as well. So like so if you have a goatee, you could buy from both people. Bingo. Yep. Yep. Bingo. Last question. If you had one piece of advice or wisdom that you could give for stores looking to scale. So not start, but let's say they've, you know, go from a thousand orders to a hundred thousand orders. What's, what's some wisdom or advice you can give them that, that you've learned or that you want to pass on? Yeah. Um, so I'm really big on, um, operational excellence and, um, making sure the foundation of your business is set before you try to build on top of it. So, uh, I'll try to be short, but you know, like, uh, your three yeah. PL, make sure all your processes there are, are set and solid your pricing on, you know, your shipping, your rates, you know, I'm constantly, another number I'm looking at is my gross margin, right? Yeah. You know, you're like, my job as CEOs t- tends to be a lot of just hammering costs down constantly because they will inflate, um, unless you're staying on top of them. Um, so operational excellence, financial excellence, making sure you're keeping costs down, um, and just constantly putting better processes and in place to, to scale, right? Um, tactics and hacks don't matter if you don't have a solid foundation to build on top of what you value as a startup. Like, I, I mean, we, you know, use nimble and flexible and mm-hmm. what, and then what you value as a scale up is completely different. And I have come mm-hmm. to really value operational excellence at bold in the last couple of years. And, yeah. you know, in the beginning you take pride in being completely flexible, but, um, at a point operational excellence is so important. So I'm actually really glad you mentioned that. 
Thank you so much. Uh, that's it. That's all my questions. Um, where can people find you and your brand to buy the world's best razor? Yeah. So you can find us on at supply.co and then you can find me on Twitter, uh, at sounds like canoe, like the, not a kayak, but a canoe, um, <laughs> and, uh, reach out. Love, love to hear from anybody that, um, wants to reach out. Thank you so much, Patrick. Thank you. That's it for another episode of Own Your Commerce. If what you've heard has helped you in any way, I'd love it if you'd leave us a review in iTunes or Spotify or wherever you listen to your podcast. It's a new podcast and reviews really help spread the word. And if you know someone you think that might benefit from this podcast, share it with a friend. If you'd like to learn more about Bold, visit boldcommerce.com. You can view all our past episodes. And if you have a story you'd like to tell, we'd love to have you on the show. You can apply to be a guest or suggest a guest on our website as well. That's all for now. And we'll see you next week. 